This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down. We break down who will be cutting. Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. It's that time of the week again. It is the 3 and D podcast. I am your host, Justin Lewis. As always, you can find us on Twitter at 3 and D pod. You can find me at J underscore Timberfake underscore. Uh, and we are part of the Grizzly Bear Blues family of podcasts. And you can find us at SBN Grizzlies on Twitter and grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you check out the Starting Five podcast that comes out on Mondays. You check out the Core Four podcast on Wednesdays and GBB Live on Thursdays. We're coming to you Sunday, minutes after the San Antonio Spurs lucked out against our beloved Memphis Grizzlies. And I have two guests here that are going to talk to us about Orlando and a, and a special piece that came out. First one I got is Connor Dunning from 92.9 ESPN. Connor, what's up, man? Hello, sir. Thank you for having me on. Now, I, I can't lie to you. Um, Dylan Brooks may have had his worst game of his career, and then you have me on your podcast. I feel like this is a trap and that you work together somehow with the basketball gods just to put me in a weird position. I, I, I don't know how you did it, but I'm convinced that you did. For those of you that don't know, Connor and I are on two different ends of the Dylan Brooks debate, very passionately on two different ends of the Dylan Brooks debate. And Connor, I'm going to tell you right now, I vowed to myself before we came on that I was not going to give you a hard time today. <laughs> Man, it was – here's what I'll say about that game that we just watched. It was one of the most frustrating games I remember as a Grizzlies fan in a very long time. I think it was a combination of a lot of different things that caused that loss. Yes, Dylan Brooks was a major reason why. Uh, his shot selection, man, it's just – it, it's frustrating. There's no, there's no other really word to use right there. Uh, I can't defend it. I can't defend some of the shots that he made. Yeah, he plays his ass off when he's on the court. Yeah, he takes some of the harder defensive assignments for the Grizzlies. But at the end of the day, when you, you have a chance to come back, you can't be making turnovers on fast break plays when you have – when, it, when it's one on three. You can't be turning the ball over. You can't be throwing it away. You can't be taking just shots away from Jaron and, and John. I think today was the biggest thing of it. I mean, I think in the first half it was something like Dylan had taken like 13 shots and John and uh, Jaron had only taken like 10 at the moment. Like that just can't happen whatsoever. Uh, another thing I think that we saw today is that youth 
is really rearing its head in this bubble. It's, you've, we've had two veteran teams that this Grizzlies team has gone up against and both come out of the gates. And you can tell every single possession that Portland had and San Antonio had, they understood how important every single moment of these games are. And it seems like the Grizzlies are just taking a little bit too much time to flip that switch. And I don't know if that's game plan. I don't know if that's them trying to, to rest for the second half because we've seen them come back so many times this year in fourth quarter job. But these are playoff games. For all intents and purposes, these are playoff games. They have to act like they are. So we can't be resting Jaw and Jaren. They need to be on the court. Like, one of them has to be on the court at all times until Tyus Jones comes back. And that's another thing that we've seen in these first two games. Tyus Jones was such an unbelievable part of this team because he was able to keep that offensive flow going with the second unit. And the trio of Melton and Clark and Tyus was, they were the lifeboat for the Grizzlies every once in a while. They would help them get back in the game. They would keep it stable. But we've just seen that Melton's struggling having to run that offense in the second unit. He's not playing very well. Uh, Kyle Anderson's doing pretty well. I'm enjoying his willingness to shoot threes, but at the end of the day, he's not the solution there. So they've got some things to figure out, um, but I've seen Jenkins make some adjustments. I think that hopefully we've seen all season, they've, they've really played well against adversity. So we, we need them to come out swinging against the Pelicans. This really reminds me of that moment when they were playing Portland right before the season got suspended, when they had had a couple tough losses and they had to beat Portland that game. And they came out with playoff intensity. We have to see that on Monday against the Pelicans. So, very frustrating day, a lot of things that need to be fixed, but luckily all of them are very fixable. And at the end of the day, they played pretty bad in their first two games, and they only lost by like a total of five points. So at the end of the day, it could have been much worse. No, I, I agree with you. Today was uh, was the one that we all tagged as a must win. It was the only one that we were favored to win out of the eight games that we had. Um, we're getting help from other teams. Uh, the the Trailblazers dropped one today. Um, the Kings have lost. The Pelicans have lost twice, and we don't know what's going on with Zion. Um, and, and, Connor, you brought up something that I was going to bring up myself is I think I underestimated the impact of Tyus Jones. Uh, these last two games, it's completely obvious um, how important he is to this team and, and what he brings to the table. Um, at first, I thought it was because it was Grayson Allen getting too many minutes because he did not look that great first game. But he saved our butts today. So, Dude, yes, he needs to play more. Like more, more Allen, less DB. That needs to be the needs to be what it is moving forward for now. Well, and, and I'll go with what Parker Fleming said on Twitter today: is it, it may be time to put Grace in the starting lineup for some spacing and let Dylan just come off and and be that be the sixth score. man he's destined yeah. to be. Right. Yeah. All right. So we have a another guest on the podcast with us today, and we're going to I'm going to ask him to give us his quick thoughts. He did watch the game. Uh, just before hopping on, we have James Herbert from CBS Sports. James, how you doing? I am good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, for coming on. Real quick, just what did you see today? What do you think this the uh, the implications of this game are going forward for our Grizzlies? Yeah, it was tough, man. I mean, I am supposed to be kind of a neutral observer with this, these games, but I felt like a Grizzlies fan uh, today, and I was watching this game, and you know, like. Just the, the missed threes, the kind of, I mean, poor shot selection from Dylan Brooks that you mentioned. I, and I think um, the point about Tyus is, is a real good one. Um, not even that, like, just, like, necessarily Tyus him, himself, if he was there, would have saved the day. But I think just when you don't have a real backup point guard on the team, your team you just look a lot less organized. And I, I think that, that has been an issue. I mean, it's not, Kyle Anderson has been a point guard in earlier phases of his basketball life. But I, I think we found out when he got to the lead, that was not going to be his destiny. And, like, he can run a pick and roll. 
Uh, he's obviously an extremely intelligent player, but if it's him or Anthony Melton running point, it's just going to be harder um, to generate good looks. And I, I think if you look at it, I think they were, what, like plus one with Jaw on the court. It was an extremely close games and they were like I guess minus three without him so it's not like a massive difference but like it felt like just watching it like every time Jaw was off I was like I just I want him back in as soon as possible and that that was sort of how I felt in in the previous game too um but yeah I mean it's a tough one particularly because the Grizzlies were missing their open threes and then on the flip side you have this team that yeah they start four guards in a center but these are not like lights out three-point shooters they're mostly taking mid-range shots and it just happens that this is the day that DeJounte Murray is hitting these like step back mid-rangers and for that to be the way that you lose with like those shots the shots that DeMar made at the end for Dylan Brooks I mean I'll shout out my guy Blake Murphy right for the athletic tweeting about how a young Canadian should be the last person who should fight on a DeMar DeRozan pump fake from 17 feet like yeah, that's <laughs> like, I, I am from Toronto I, I mean I don't live anymore but like I've watched like an enormous amount of DeMar DeRozan over my life and like you don't fight on his pump fake he's very good at it he has fooled a lot of people Dylan Brooks is not the first but like for that to happen in crunch time is just so painful and that maybe Jenkins needed to institute the is what Ty Lue would do whenever the Cavs played the Raptors in the playoffs he would find guys for every time they bit on a DeMar pump fake and that that is something that maybe Memphis needed to do in this, but coming into this game. So yeah, I mean they're, they're a young team, and uh, I think some of the turnovers and just kind of decision making that, that you saw today was not ideal, and that that is a little bit frustrating because I think as I wrote in like my story on the team, like they they haven't really felt like a young team for a lot of the year. Like they're they're so unselfish. I think like Jaw is obviously such a mature basketball player, even though he's he's a rookie and you haven't really had to step back and say like, Oh, this is just inexperienced fighting them. But I, I think this now with just how much these games mean, it's kind of starting to come out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the box score right now. I got it pulled up. Did y'all know that John ja Morant was an assist and a rebound away from a triple double? Yeah. And I mean, and that's why like, there were still some positives today in, in today's game. It was frustrating, but at the end of the day, like Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Moran have still stepped up to the plate, and they're playing well with bigger roles. Now, we, we say that they need to be on the court more, but they, and they played 37 minutes and 35 minutes. It's just in the moments that they weren't on the court today, it seemed like the Spurs really were able to take control back of the game. Like, in my opinion, I think that them not starting the fourth quarter really hurt the Grizzlies because they had some momentum rolling into that fourth quarter. And then bang, bang, the Spurs all of a sudden were up by nine just at the beginning of the fourth quarter very quickly. So that's why, like, when I'm talking about some of the rotational issues going on, I just feel like in these playoff games, like, we just, we got to have the best guys on the court when it's crunch time at the end of the day. Because you see what Ja can do in the fourth quarter. He can take over a game in a way that a 20-year-old shouldn't be able to do. It's, it's pretty mm-hmm. remarkable. I think he averaged 7.3 points per game in the fourth quarter this season. It's very rare to see it. So let him do his thing in the fourth. And he's, it's – I don't know. I feel like that it, it's tough for them to go into the game kind of out of rhythm coming back into the fourth quarter because when they went out, they were coming back. They were, they were playing winning basketball again. And then when they come back in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden they got to climb this mountain again and get all the way to the top. And it takes so much energy to get them there. So why not just let them start at, start at the beginning of the fourth? That's the only – that's my biggest thing today was Dylan Brooks' shot selection. Hey, Grayson Allen looked really good. Jenkins, let's figure out the rotation and let's feed the paint. You really saw that feeding the paint helped. You got to get JV some more touches there at the end. 
Yeah, we we lead the NBA in paints point uh, points in the paint. So I don't know why we're we're trying to become this jump shooting team all of a sudden. I think the stat that stands out to me the most that um, is just crazy is a team that has Rudy Gay as their backup center um, out rebounded us by ten. That's nuts. Yeah, can't do that. Yeah, Jaron, I, I love Jaron to death. He's 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 a little bit of a unicorn of a basketball player, but his. His rebounding is his biggest minus, in my opinion. He's got to work on that. I mean, you heard Jenkins. I like how animated Jenkins was today, too. And in his, he was a little feisty in his post-game press conference as well, which I like, too. But you saw – I don't know if y'all heard it through the feed, but he basically yelled at Jaron, get an effing rebound. Like, he was pissed at him because he was letting so many offensive rebounds happen. Because we can't just lean on uh, Jonas to do it. He can't do it all by himself. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, Jaron's got to be better and when – uh, Deontay Murray was the, I think, the leading rebounder in the entire. No, Valanciunas had 11, and then Murray had 10. Like their point guard right. was the second leading rebounder in the entire game, but that that can't happen. No, right. definitely, yeah, definitely not. So let's go to um, James Post. As I said earlier, James is a as over at CBS Sports, and he wrote a post, and this is the title of it. It's from Mike and Mark to John Jaron, the next-gen Grizzlies are on their own grind. And then the tagline is, Ja and Jaron star in the most fun show on League Pass. And I'm going to tell you right now, James, speaking for Connor, we are so excited at how much national attention the Grizzlies are finally getting. And it's definitely because of Ja Morant, because he's an absolute – going to be a superstar. He's so much fun to watch. But this is something that we're just not used to. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you came up with this piece, how long it took you to put it together, because you have a lot of quotes in here. Uh, just tell us about the process behind this piece. Yeah, well, it took me much longer to put together than anticipated. Like, I I started working on this piece in January. Like, that was, like, I talked to yeah. Mike and Mark when they when they came through New York. Um, and the idea was to do it, like, around then. And then I was going to do it, you know, it ended up getting pushed back for just for reasons that I were kind of to the side, like other stories I was working on. I went to All-Star when I didn't think I was going to, blah, blah, blah. I thought in the end I was going to peg it to Mark's return to Memphis, um, which was supposed to be on the, the 28th of March. Uh, and then, you know, the world shut down. Um, and I had to kind of figure out a way to make it relevant again. So I just kind of waited and used it as sort of a way to preview uh, the, the games in the bubble. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was excited about this team from the beginning and it, when they, they didn't, you know, it took a while for them to start actually winning games. But I think from the moment that we saw jaw play, you like, I don't know how you couldn't be so excited about the long-term future of the franchise. And they, really it was before he even got on the court. Like when that draft pick was made, you're just looking at Jaron who, I mean, even like last year as a rookie, um, when he wasn't quite as good as he's been this year in, in a few important ways that I tried to highlight in the piece, like you could see his potential then. I remember I did something on Jaron last year and I, I talked to Mark about Jaron for that story. And even in that piece, like he was effusive about Jaron and just kind of said, like, I have no idea how to compare him to anyone or like what kind of player he's going to be. Like, we'll just have to see. And then it, it, it was cool to, to get to speak to Mike and Mark who just always, when they were Grizzlies were like the most accessible all-stars in the NBA like they'd come in on the road and you could just go talk to them at their locker pregame and I, I've, I've done several stories where I've interviewed them but to, to get to talk to them about what the Grizzlies are doing now 
and to hear like yeah they're they're still watching they're still paying attention and in fact like they've talked to each other about what the team is doing and like they they like the way that they play like I, I just I hadn't seen stories where they'd been quoted about the Grizzlies other than like Mike had said some nice things when he came back uh, early in the year and I, I wanted to kind of make that the hook but then kind of tell people who maybe haven't been paying as much attention like why I've like why I personally loved watching this team all year and what makes them unique like the I, I think what sets them apart from I mean even if you go back and look at like in the past like 10-15 years like some other teams that had sort of like built through the draft and stuck their team with young guys is like they like I said earlier like they don't play like a typical young team like they are so smart um they are so amazingly unselfish jaw is this guy who is a wizard with the ball but he is not just dominating the ball and running a million pick and rolls all game and like making sure that like if he's making like if they're scoring on a possession because he's the one that makes the pass like no like he gets hockey assists he's happy playing off the ball and cutting and like he doesn't need to be the guy that has like a 35 percent usage rate just because he was the number two pick like he is an actual team player and an unselfish guy and he's it's just like I have basically um thought they were the most fun show on league pass all year and I didn't plan to wait until uh late July to to tell people that in a story but that's just kind of the way it happened yeah I think um the coolest part about the piece reading it was you you just said that Mike and Mark still watch and talk about it but like in the piece, you can see just some of the quotes, especially from Mark, that he's obviously still paying attention to the team. And Mark was my favorite player when he was here. Um, so that's really cool for me as a, as a fan of him and a fan of the team to see that, like, this guy still cares about this city. He still cares about what happens with this franchise. And I wouldn't be shocked if it's something like he, you know, retires and lives in Memphis and somehow he's around. The, he's so smart when it comes to basketball. Like, he's not some type mm -hmm. of – advisor to the team when he's when he's finally done um connor i don't want to take any questions from you so i'm gonna let you throw what you got out there well I, to be honest it's kind of, kind of gonna be echoing what you're about saying like for me mike is my personal favorite of the core four because there's something about being the first one the last one that's poetic for me but uh i just wanted to ask you like do you think that it it, it kind of, the, the memphis is very weird and i don't know if it's just our mindset because we're in the city and and we're kind of a smaller market, but um, I'm a born and raised Memphian. And like the fact that the core four, the first major successful team in Memphis, the fact that we have Tony Allen now working for the team, Zebo sits courtside, Mark, Mike and Mark still watch the games. They both still live here and they both plan on coming back here. Is that something that is normal around the NBA? Like do usually veterans come back to cities and, and stay there? Do they usually get hugged by cities that they ne didn't necessarily grow up in? I mean, Mark did, a little bit he's more of a son of Memphis but I don't know it's always seemed like and you kind of touched on it in the piece that there's just something about this city and the connection that they have with that G&G team that it's Memphis is now synonymous with G&G G&G is synonymous with Memphis like when you think of Tony Allen you think of Memphis now when you think of Zebo, you think of Memphis do you could you just kind of give some insight what why you think that relationship so special yeah I mean I think it's because of the particular character of that team because of the way that they played um, I think, you know, every city, <laughs> even cities that are not underdog cities, like you, people like to think like wherever they from, like, oh, we're, we just care about hard work, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I feel like with Memphis, like they, it, it actually like specifically fits. And 
people really gravitated toward the way that those guys played, um, the competitiveness they showed, that they stuck with it, um, that they, you know, how many freaking injuries did Mike Conley play through over his time there? Like, how many right. moments can you single out where Tony Allen was getting, like, a standing ovation and he's not the type of player that generally gets standing ovations, right? Like, it's – I think it is special. I think that that team had an identity um, – that, you know, it, it had changed a little bit by the time it was Mark and Mike's, like, final couple of years there. Uh, right. But I think the relationship with the fans was as strong as it ever was, and I think that will remain forever. Like, it, it, I think that is one of the cool things is, like, because, you know, I, I think most teams, like, you can identify some people who have, like, passed through the organization and when they come back, like, maybe it's because they spent their whole career there. Maybe it's because they were there when the team was particularly good whatever it is that they, they come back and they get a reputation, they get an ovation or whatever that would surprise people who aren't from there. I think there are some of those guys, but I think what's cool about the Grizzlies is like, there's a whole kind of, there, there's that core four and there's that whole era that will be remembered forever. And like, no, they didn't win a championship, but they pushed teams that did. And if certain series had gone slightly differently, like you don't know how far they might have actually gone or if they had just like, found that like starting small forward that they needed to the, could have stretched the floor and whatever. <laughs> like just those conversations we had every off season about what the Grizzlies needed to do. Like they were never that far away from doing it. Um, and I think the fact that they didn't doesn't really matter. It's that they played so damn hard and cared and they played unselfishly and they will always have that sort of connection. And I, I think that is really special. I think it's really nice because not always does it end well when a team trades somebody who was considered a, a franchise player or like a co-franchise player or whatever. And to hear that Mike and Mark are so, so like at peace with the transition and happy that the Grizzlies have been able to turn things around so quickly, like that is really refreshing. And it's not always the case at all. Like, like this is a really super cutthroat business. And most of the time when teams talk about like, oh, we're a family, blah, blah, blah. Like it's just kind of BS. But I, I think there is a real um, connection to the city, to, to all four of those guys, certainly to the two guys that I talked to. But I mean, you can go like there was a piece on Bleacher Report by Miran Vader where like Zach Randolph is quoted about Jaw and about the current teams. And I know Tony Allen has been quoted uh, elsewhere and like he's working for the damn G League team now like it is real right and and that I think that is absolutely a special thing and it, and it was also cool by the way like to see that the young guys understand that like Jaw and Darren are both in that piece talking about how like they have ambitions like they're not shy like they they want to be even better they want to win a title in Memphis they want to build a, a, something equally special or more special there but they're also like they would never call themselves good and grind anymore and they know that and they, that's why I think they, they want to embrace this, like, Grizz next-gen thing. Wow, that, that was an excellent answer, excellent answer. And you actually kind of answered my follow-up question, which was going to be uh, when you were talking to Mike and Mark, did you get a sense of appreciation from them at all that the Grizzlies did kind of take care of them? Like, we could have sent we, – like, we all know about the Mark deal with Charlotte that almost happened, but he ended up in mm -hmm. Toronto and was able to wear a ring. And, of course, he has GNG on his ring, which is so special to the – to people in Memphis it just it really is and then you have Mike we, we were able to send him to Utah to be in a contender and and the 
poeticness of him taking down the team that the Grizzlies needed him to while he's wearing I am man on the back <laughs> of his jersey playing the best game that he's played in probably a full season like that was special to watch do you do you just get did you get a sense talking to them that they that they were happy with how their relationship with the Grizzlies ended and it seems like that they don't really have anything that they think that they left on the table in the city yeah, that was the vibe that I got. I didn't ask them any questions directly about that, but that was the sort of subtext of the whole conversation was like, they weren't annoyed that I was asking them about their former team. They right. they were happy to talk about it. They were effusive in their praise for the young guys. And not only that, they made a point of like praising the front office and the coaching staff specifically and praising the style of play that they had there. Like I, I think when, if, if you have Marcus all saying I love the way they play you can tell that coach Jenkins has them organized I I love jaw as a leader like that means a lot more than just some random person saying that it's because Marcus all is as anybody knows who watches him like he is an absolute perfectionist when it comes to basketball he's a purist when yes, it comes to basketball he wants things to be done the right way and if he thought that the Grizzlies had some young guys that were like oh yeah they're talented clearly but like they're kind of out there for themselves. They just want to ISO a million times a game. Then like, I don't think you'd get the exact same answers um, as far as the style of play goes. And, and as far as like how the actual relationship ended, like, yeah, like I, I didn't ask either of them this time, but like I was there the first game Marcus all played for the Raptors with Madison Square Garden. Um, and I remember the pregame interview that he gave and how he was talking about how grateful he was that the Grizzlies sent him there and how the first conversation he had with Masai Ujiri on the phone was about like we want to win a championship here and at that point I'm standing there I don't know how many people in that scrum at MSG thought the Raptors were going to win a title um I am from Toronto and followed them very closely and was pretty like high on them all season long so it didn't sound like, like some like crazy pie in the sky thing to me but like for him that was absolutely part of it like the second that he went there he thought okay I have a chance and I, I, they weren't the favorites, but it ended up going their way. And I, I think absolutely he is grateful that he was put in that situation. And by the way, like the Jazz, no, they're not quite contenders right now. But like, go back and look at how people were talking about them coming into the season. And even now, if they, if they had Boganovich, I think we'd be talking about them as like, right. no, they're not a top three favorite or whatever. But they're kind of in that second group with like Houston and whatever, like teams that could surprise, maybe get to the conference finals. And then once you're there, you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. So I think Mike went into this year thinking this was a chance to compete for a title. And I think if you go back and look at some of the things he said to other people, even though I didn't directly talk to him about it, like he was very happy with how it ended up for sure. Right. Right. I got, I got one more question for you real quick though. I do love the little alliance that is formed between Raptors fans and Grizzlies fans though, because y'all gave us, or they gave us JV and they were like, take care of our guy. And we were, and we were like, you better take care of our guy, Mark. Because <laughs> I think both fan bases knew how valuable each guy was going to be to each team. Um, but this is not really a Mike and Mark question, more of a youthful Grizzlies question. Just in the recent yeah. years in the NBA, we've seen that rookies are kind of coming into the league a little bit more prepared, a little bit more mature and ready to kind of know what to do in the league. There's been a heightened level, I think, of the maturity of the rookies coming in recently. They've been more impactful than we've seen in years past. What do you think has caused that? Do you think it is guys like LeBron and D-Wade and Melo or and the guys coming in that have kind of left the blueprint of professionalism moving forward? Or do you think it's the social media age that, that guys just know that they have to come in a little bit more prepared? It, I mean, specifically like a team like the Grizzlies, the youngest team in the NBA, when you go down the line, we've talked about it a few times on podcasts and on 929 and 
uh, guys have written about in Memphis is that we can trust these young guys in a way that we haven't really been able to do with young guys in the past. And we think it's just because they're just more NBA ready for some reason coming in uh, to the season. Yeah, I think it, it's a little bit different. Like if you're talking about on the court or off the court, I think off the court, like these guys, you know, if you're at a high level college program, um, it, it is a pseudo professional thing anyway. A lot of these guys have done so many interviews. They're very polished when they come in. They know what to say. Um, they're paying attention to, I mean, I remember like Christophs Porzingis talking about how like, yeah, like he's in Latvia like practicing his interview answers, watching like how LeBron James delivers them. Like the, the, I think you, you learn from your peers and, and you look up to those guys and you want to present yourself kind of a similar way. And I, I think some of these guys, yeah, they're only in college for a year, but in that year they are learning a lot of the things that will kind of be part of their life at the next level, even though it's still going to be an adjustment for a bunch of reasons. Um, as far as on the court, I think part of it is like the game has changed um, in a way that like a lot of people are annoyed by it, but I personally think is awesome in that like it is very hard to be an unskilled player in the NBA these days. Right. So even if you're you're growing up and you're like always the big kid, like you're probably growing up doing perimeter stuff. You're probably growing up and like working on your ball skills and your three point shooting. And Jaron Jackson looks like this like crazy unicorn now and like oh my god, like the look think about the shot that he made in the corner. Um, and that this is a near seven footer doing that. And think about the shot that he missed, right? Like coming right. off like a pin down to take a it was, 30 footer. I was happy with it. I was like, that's me a too. shot. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought it was going in and it, and it was apparent it wasn't. I was like, oh man, like that was, they still have to be happy with the look though. Like, could you imagine saying that a few years ago? Like that, that seems crazy, but in a few years that like, that's just getting going to get less and less crazy. And I think you kind of come into the league now and the bar is so high. Um, even if you're just going to be a role player, you're not just going to be like some like brute force rebounder anymore. And you're probably not even going to be like a caretaker point guard. Like you're going to have to be able to defend multiple positions. You're going to be able to have to put the ball on the floor a little bit. Like, I mean, I think of a guy like in, in Phoenix, like if you watch how the way Mikhail Bridges has played uh, in Orlando, and then you go back and you look how he played, uh, not even as a rookie, like some like earlier this year, like it is crazy that we were calling him a three and D guy a few months ago. He is now like just confidently putting the ball on the floor and trying to make plays for other people and all this stuff. And I think he was one of the guys that I wrote about. I, I did a story a year ago. Uh, where I basically said like three and D isn't enough anymore. Um, like everybody's expecting more than that. You kind of have to do everything regardless of how big you are. And I think that's just the way the league is trending. And I think it's a league where, it becomes so important to be intelligent, to be able to read the floor and make plays. And it becomes really important that you have to be able to do it on both ends of the floor. And that, that's part of the cool thing about the Grizzlies, man, is like Brandon Clark comes in and like, yeah, okay, he's a bit older than your average rookie. So that's part of why you draft a guy like that. But like just immediately day one, he fits in. And he has huge upside to be more than a guy that is like, just like filling in the gaps and whatever. But like for now, like, he is unbelievable in that role and you can look at a, a Melton he has a pretty high intelligence level and feel for the game and then obviously when you're talking about the actual cornerstones jaw and Jaren, like that's just a whole like they're on a whole other level like they're extremely special not like they are outliers even for rookies but I think if you're looking at rookies that are actually getting like 
you know, rotation minutes and they're playing big roles for their teams. Like you have to be pretty mature as a player. And then it helps if you're mature as a person too. Right. right. That's all I got for you, man. Just thank you for writing that piece on the Grizzlies. Like I said, it's, it's been a tough week in Memphis with the Tyus Jones news. And then we had justice last week. I read it like three different times, put a smile <laughs> on my face, brought some tears in the eyes. I went back and watched some GNG highlights. Zebo beating the hell out of Blake Griffin just made my heart happy. <laughs> I, I super appreciate it. Uh, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, if Connor didn't hype this piece up, I don't know if I would have saw it. He, he retweeted it on Twitter and uh, talked about how phenomenal it was. So it made me read it. And then when I read it, I was like, all right, I got to reach out to this guy. So, uh, <laughs> Connor, thank you for, for reposting it so that we could get on here and, and talk about it. Um, James, is there anything you want to kind of like throw in as we, as we close this thing out? I would, if I was going to throw in anything, honestly, it would be like, yeah, like that game was like rather frustrating, but I think like what I saw earlier today and like Kevin Felton put out his like updated like odds, um, which I don't know what they are after this game and after Portland lost today, but the Grizzlies were still like 77% like this morning uh, for keeping that that eighth seed so I, I would say yeah the schedule looks tough but the sky isn't falling like I, I think the models I, I'd have to reach out to KP I'll probably update it again tomorrow I don't know what the percentages are now but I think as disappointing as it as it was like I think the uh the smart the models that are smarter than we are and absolutely less emotional than we are are still pretty bullish on Memphis finishing this thing with at number eight there's well, something we, about holding your own destiny too. They control their own destiny, which is important. They're, they're going to figure yeah. it out for sure. Um, I think they're really, and I wrote about it uh, a couple of weeks ago that I, when I talked with Eric Castleton, the, the play-by-play guy for the Grizzlies, he mentioned in every game in this, if we, if we fall out of even the nine seed and we become the 10 seed, like the value in just playing these playoff level games for this young mm-hmm. team is going to be so high. And so, like, they've gotten a taste two games in a row going up against Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum in a playoff atmosphere and then going up against Popovich in a, in a playoff implication game. Like, they're starting to see, like, okay, this is what it takes. And I think it's going to be a game – you know, hopefully it's tomorrow they, they come out from the jump and be like, this is what we have to do. We've seen it. Uh, we, can't, we can't start like this and, and then we go from there. Uh, James, well, do me a favor real quick, and Connor, follow up with him. Um, tell them where uh, they can find your work and find you guys on Twitter. So all my stories go to cbssports.com, the NBA section. I'm on Twitter at Outside the NBA, which I should probably change, but that was the name of my first basketball blog that I started in, like, 2009 or something. Um, so, yeah, that's about it for me. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at cdunning929. Make sure you're listening to 929 FM ESPN from 2 to 4 every single day. I produce Gene Otto and Jeffrey, so you can hear the three of us talking about Memphis sports, basketball. We do Rushmore's on movies. Um, you can also catch a new podcast I just started with a friend of mine called Sound and Color Pod. It's on Apple and Spotify and anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, there we just talk about the latest in movies and music, and we just kind of do a bunch of fun movie topics and stuff like that. So go check those out. Um, other than that, man, that's it. I'm going to toss Connor a free plug right here. That's Sound and Color Podcast. These two guys um, are kind of my go-tos when it comes to a, um, a new movie or some music. I, I'll ask them questions about it rather than going <laughs> to, to Rotten Tomatoes. They're my personal Rotten Tomatoes. 
you you're way too kind so you're way too kind <laughs> all right well james connor i appreciate you guys coming on um hopefully the grizz can can get it together please please go check out james piece on cbssports.com it is definitely worth the read maybe even more than once uh for james and for connor this has been another episode of the three and d podcast we will see you guys next week <laughs>